1: All right. What is happening, Sales Hustlers? I've got a special guest for you today. I have Tyler Lindley, who is a uh, Senior Channel Account Manager at HubSpot by Day and podcast host of the Sales Lift Podcast by Night. We're going to dig into his story and leave you with as much tactical tips as possible so that you can up your game. Tyler, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Doing great, doing great. Thanks for
2: having me, Colin. I'm excited to be here, excited to hopefully share some tactical knowledge with all the sales hustlers out there. So,
1: yeah, awesome. So just, you know, tell us the uh short version of your story, how you got into sales and then we'll just dig right in.
2: Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I ended up in sales. You know, I guess it was kind of preordained. Both my parents were in sales. My dad worked for uh, Kraft Foods for forty years and sold a uh, sold a lot of cheese. And uh, my mom was in pharmaceutical sales, so called on doctors for for many decades. And so it was kind of preordained for me to end up in sales. I went to Clemson, studied marketing because there was no sales program at the time. And mm-hmm. uh, and then you know got my feet wet. I started selling Cutco knives when I was in. High school and uh, did that whole door-to-door thing selling knives at kitchen tables. So learned a lot about how to talk to adults, talk to my friends' parents, and get them to get them to buy some cutlery. And then have had various uh, sales sales jobs throughout my career. I've owned my own business in the hospitality industry. And, uh, now most recently I've transitioned into software, started as Infusionsoft, and, uh, now I'm at HubSpot, uh, slinging some CRM and marketing software. So, uh, and, uh, and by night I love to talk sales as well. Uh, on the sales lift, we really focus on kind of, talking to uh, business leaders that are ready to scale the revenue engine. And so a lot of those companies who've got a proof of concept and who are ready to really grow out that, that sales piece of their business uh, and scale it outside of just themselves. So...
1: Oh, very, very cool. So uh, I'm just kind of picturing you starting off in your your early sales career, knocking on doors, selling knives. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah,
2: definitely. So <laughs> I don't even know if it would be allowed this day and age. You know, there's no, there's so many no soliciting. Which it wasn't. I <laughs> guess I wasn't necessarily knocking on every door. You know, it was it was mainly referral based. So you tried to talk to friends of friends of friends, but you definitely start family and graduated from there. But, you know, in my neighborhoods or the neighborhoods around me, I definitely kind of ended up knocking on a few doors, uh, which is interesting. You definitely learn how to, you know, how to get how to get rejected early on, which I think when you're 16, 17 years old, a lot more valuable than, uh, you know, working at a fast food restaurant or or delivering the newspaper. I think, you know, kind of getting your feet wet and, and cutting your teeth in in sales, especially selling, you know, it was it was a higher end kind of product, mm-hmm. especially for someone young to be selling. But that was definitely their model. And uh, so I learned a lot had a great time and uh, figured out that I don't want to do that type of selling as a career, uh, but definitely learned that I love sales. I love talking to people. I love taking people through a process. And uh, so it really taught me a lot about the foundation, I think, of what I've taken throughout the rest of my sales career
1: yeah I think these days, if you showed up to somebody's doors with a bunch of knives, they might call the police on you,
2: <laughs> yeah, I know, especially in twenty twenty I mean all of those people probably Everybody's a little it this point, yeah. you know? <laughs> it's how crazy this year been, but yeah, I don't think it would go over too well. I did kind of keep the knives you know hidden away, so they never I didn't come out slinging knives, but you know, you definitely pulled them out and and showed what they could do, so to try to get the big clothes in, so
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. So something that you said, you know, s- stuck out to me is uh, it's such an important thing early on for people in their sales career. And, you know, I have a a sneaking suspicion and I've been saying this for a while now that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to fall into sales. You know, not everybody has the more traditional path of like, you know, you know, sales runs in their family and then, you know, get into sales. A lot of people, whatever their plan A is, didn't work out. And then, you know, hey, sales is pretty much always hiring. So give it a shot. Right. Right. Um, Is learning how to deal with rejection. Right. So tell me a little bit about that. Definitely. I think,
2: you know, you've got to learn how to, you've got to learn how to get beat up. I mean, this is a contact sport and, uh, and we're dealing with people, you know, I was just on a call earlier today, and I was getting some negative feedback from something, some things I had dropped the ball on. And I think, you know, the old me before getting into sale, I would have gotten angry, I would have gotten mad. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you learn how to take that feedback and you learn how to take that criticism. And you have to also kind of separate, you know, these are people making decisions for the best of themselves, their business, uh, their teams. It's not personal. Uh, So you've got to learn how to separate yourself from the outcomes that you're looking for, because at the end of the day, it's all about controlling what you can control, controlling that mindset and knowing that. You're going to win. You're going to lose probably a lot more than you win. But if you just can keep your mindset consistent, you'll, you'll learn how to develop that, that you know kind of thicker skin if you will and just let the nose roll off of you you can't be dependent on oh i've got to make this sale if i don't make this sale i'm going to be crushed it's going to devastate me you've got to know that you can you can get by without the business you're in a good enough position you've got a big enough pipeline you don't need this business if they want to work with you great but you don't need the business so that's kind of a lesson that i've tried to take you know, throughout all the different sales roles I've had is just understanding that you're in control and that you've got to separate the outcome from, you know, from your personal emotions. So.
1: Oh yeah. And, 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 you know, when you can't do that, it's very easy to come off as you're, you know, being desperate, you know, and Mm. buyers and prospects can, can sense that, you know, and, and if you're not coming off confident, like, Hey, you know, I know I have a great solution. I know what it can do for your organization. I've done my work in the discovery call to help identify the problems that we can solve, what the impacts of those problems are. And this is why you should move forward rather than just like really coming from a place that's like, I need this sale because I'm not that confident that my pipeline's healthy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a rut that's, that's hard to get out of.
2: Mm-hmm. Hundred percent. Yeah, commission breath reeks. I mean, and, and people can smell it from a mile. You can smell it through a Zoom meeting. I mean, you can truly you know, th- that's how we sell a lot of times on the phone now or on on Zoom calls or over video. It just really shines through. And I think if you're coming at it from a place of confidence, like you mentioned, Everyone can see that. Everyone can sense that. And that's how you're dictating the calls and you're dictating the process and you're controlling the process. A little bit of challenger sales there, if you will, you know, really controlling that process and those outcomes and being in control, setting an upfront contract, you know, like dictating things versus just wishing and and wanting and hoping and then, you know, having that really shine through on the phone.
1: Yeah. And I think what, where, where a lot of people can, can fall short is just really wanting that yes or that next step so bad that they're willing to compromise to get there, you know? And what I think a lot of sales hustlers need to realize is that you're really hurting yourself. Like, Mm -hmm. Getting that number in the pipeline that's not even legit or has no business even being there or getting that next appointment or getting that next step agreed when you haven't really validated or set the upfront contract or uncovered the pain, the problem and the impact, then you're really only hurting yourself because you're going to waste so much time on these deals that are never going to close. Mm-hmm, 100%. You're not only hurting yourself
2: too, you're hurting the business. I mean, because from a forecasting perspective, if you've got a bunch of dead deals in your pipeline that's bloating up your number, oh, like I've got 100,000 potential dollars in my pipeline, that doesn't mean anything if you're actually not you know, keeping your pipeline accurate and honest. So I think pipeline review is not just an exercise for you to go through with your manager, it's an exercise in honesty and humility with yourself. And I think in sales, We've got to approach that, I think, at the beginning is being honest with ourselves, being honest about our process, taking people through that, knowing you don't need the business, but knowing that that number is a true representation of what is actually happening in my pipeline. And it's not just propped up because of what I hope would happen or what I wish would happen or, oh, I want to hit P-Club, but if you really aren't there, just be honest with yourself and, you know, either, either work to get there or, you know, maybe sales isn't for you. I mean, like kind of figure out why are you there and work with your manager or work with a sales coach on what, what you can do to figure that out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And, you know, pipeline doesn't pay the bills, right? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right? Closed deals do. So, you know, in and, and, and I think that, What are some things that you have found to be helpful to just really validate your pipeline, review your pipeline, and make sure that it's a good, honest, healthy pipeline?
2: Yeah. So I've done some Sandler training in my day. And so kind of thinking about upfront contracts and thinking about applying that to actual deals, because at the end of the day, as we're working deals, depending on the type of deal you're working, it might be very short sales cycle. Maybe it's just a couple of calls. Maybe it's a long sales cycle and it's, you know, developing relationships and it's months and months or even years of work back and forth with your clients. I think it's just knowing what are the outcomes? What are the things that you need to validate at each step of your sales process before you can move that deal along? And if you if you haven't gotten those answers, you need to get on the phone and figure those things out from your client before you move to that next step. Because from a forecasting perspective, we should be, you know, forecasting based on the deal stage, and then that should be reflective of what's in those stages. And I think if you're if you're not taking the steps at, at each stage, you're not skipping steps, then you're doing yourself and the business a disservice. So uh, we like to say at HubSpot, you know, like keeping your your CRM and your pipeline up to date. That's what your base salary is for. Uh, now we pay you commission for everything, you know, for all those closed deals you get, but the, your Your task to the business is to keep those things up to date and keep them honest and I think a big thing that has to do with is just making sure you 've got a set process set criteria for when something should move from stage a to stage b so.
1: right so have, having your having your playbook laid out and not deviating from that, having that process laid out of everything that needs to be covered in the discovery in you know the demo the trial phase whatever your sales process looks like having that laid out for a proven path that works and not deviating or compromising or skipping any of those steps just to get to the next step Exactly. Yeah, we get so eager. We get so eager in sales. Oh, I'm so eager. I'm so eager
2: to talk. I'm so eager to tell them all about our tool. Have you seen what it does? Have you seen the new product developments? This feature, that feature, it's incredible. None of that really matters. It's sales about solving problems. And and it's about understanding who your buyer is. Asking them great questions and then shutting up and listening, like turning that mute button on and then shut up, listen. And then they'll tell you everything you need to know. And then, you know, if it makes sense to move them along the process, it does. And if it doesn't, then on to the next, you know, some will, some won't, who cares? So you've got to have that kind of mentality, but also a dedicated process, like you said. We like to use playbooks that either that individual rep is running themselves or the company or a manager is helping to build those playbooks. So you're standardizing that across your team. So
1: yeah, no, I, I think that's a great example, right? Is we're so eager to get to the next step and to move on and and things like that. But I think what's important is to to realize that sometimes what can happen in, in and you know, I've done this myself and learned from mistakes is sometimes you know, the prospect is eager and it makes you feel like it's okay to jump ahead. But sometimes you got to scale them back like, hey, no, we've got to go through this process to make sure that it's a right fit to make sure that, you know, you're validating, you know, the sol- the problem that you're solving or, you know, if not moving forward, what, how that would impact the organization, the department, the company as a whole, them personally, right mm-hmm. and if and if you're not doing that, just knowing that there's a problem isn't enough. you got to yeah. like dig deep, and yep. that's got to be part of your process because human beings don't like to change number one, and if you haven't done a proper discovery and you know followed a a path for success, just helping them realize that there's a problem that you can solve it is not enough to get the close,
2: yep. No, I 100 percent agree. There's nothing worse than the prospect who gets on the phone and they say, oh, man, I've already done all my research. I've already vetted y'all. I love you. I mean, I just I'm ready to talk about pricing and packaging. What does the onboarding look like? What is the implementation plan? How soon can we get started? Is there is there like do you have to go through things or can we just get started now? Yeah. So ready. I'm chomping at the bit. And us as sales reps, we get those happy years. Great. We- What's your credit card number? <laughs> of course. Yeah, of course. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the latest specials we have. Like, oh, let me yeah. give you a discount too, because I'm just so excited. Let's just yeah. talk about everything that we can do for you to get you on board right now. And if you've got a short sales cycle and a very transactional product, Maybe that works. Maybe, you know, sometimes that happens Mm -hmm. a bluebird falls into your lap. But if you're actually running a a true sales process and you've got and you have, you know, steps to that process, you can't you can't skip steps one to five just because the client comes in at six. So uh, you've got to really go back to square one and figure out, validate, discover figure out who else is involved. What does their decision-making process look like? You know, what do you need to see? What did, are you not considering anything else? I think it's a great time to bring up competitors because they should be if they're not, because the competitors will inevitably come in at the 11th hour and those kind of deals. So I think making sure that you go back to step one, and maybe you do a condensed version of steps one to five, but you've got to at least do them uh, versus just skipping to six, getting happy years. And then those deals usually fail at what do you think, Colin? Like 90%, I'd say of the ones who come in pre So what's
1: interesting is 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 yes, they they fail, right? And then and then they're the ones that you spend the most time on because you're like, I don't understand. They were so excited to sign up, and they're the ones that you call, you know, way more than you should and email and stock them on social and like where'd they go right <laughs> when you yeah. could have been spending more time and energy into you know following a, a process with somebody who you know actually is showing up to the meetings and doing those things but what's interesting is let's say just benefit of the doubt let's say they do sign up yep they don't stick around that's the problem is they don't stick around because you didn't fu- you didn't fully validate that what you're selling is going to actually solve whatever they're trying to solve or is better than what they currently have or, you know, fits their needs. Um, And then, you know, what happens is those ones, they have a higher churn rate, right? And, you know, I've talked to people that, you know, I've interviewed a lot of people and, you know, there's people that are like, hey, reps should get maybe compensated based on, you know, lifetime value. (laughs) Of a company, <laughs> right. Because if you're great and you're slick and you skip steps and you get people to say yes, but they don't stick around, 100%. you know, especially because there's more and more companies that are, you know, kind of a lot of buyers that don't want contracts, especially right now. So there's a lot of people that it's like, hey, you know, yep. a lot of things that are being sold are on a monthly basis. Right? right. So it's very easy to have a high churn rate if the sales rep didn't do what they're supposed to that's laid out in the process. So, you know, getting people to say yes, and they only stick around for three or six months is not a big win. You know, people that stick around for 12, 24, 36, 60 months and beyond, you know, that was because it was a proper foundation that was set in that process that whatever it is that you do is the perfect fit for what they're looking for.
2: Yep. Month-to-month contracts terrify me. I mean, for that that specific reason, I don't think companies should allow folks. I mean- I don't think that there should be, you know, that out because a month to month contract is an out for the sales rep to skip steps and to and to get in less than stellar clients into the into the fold. Furthermore, if you're skipping those steps, like what kind of onboarding did they get? What information did you really learn about them to tee up the onboarding for folks or account managers for success there? They're coming in saying, oh, yeah, they're, they're so excited. They they've they paid, you know, they, they've already given me their credit <laughs> card. But what did you really learn about them? What does that, what does that onboarding person know to really tee them up for success and make sure they're around six months from now or 12 months from now or five years from now? Because that's really important is, is that handoff. And I don't think it's something that we talk about enough. Yes, I think churn, churn does happen and reps should be penalized for churn, especially short term churn and within a month or three months or six months or whatever it is. But like reps can control. How well that process goes, that handoff is so important. They only know you as the sales rep. And now they're about to get traded yep. off to someone else. What are you doing as a sales rep to set that next person up for success? because if you're if you're not do, if you don't care and you're already counting your commission check, that money's coming out of your commission check in three months because you set that client up for failure and you set your team up for failure. So I think, That sales to next to the account management teams, that handoff is so important and often overlooked uh, because sales reps get so happy at that point that they close their deal. It's off my hands. Customer success, someone else's problem. So,
1: Yeah. And, you know, and and there's nothing worse than, you know, them getting on with customer success or onboarding and then start asking about things that should have been covered in the very (laughs) beginning stages of the sales process, right? So, you know, not only like that's just another reason that validates why, you know, discovery is so important and getting to know them, their needs, the impacts and documenting all of that properly because it's like a guide for onboarding and customer success to make sure and even show like, hey, we're, you know, it's a very collaborative environment. Like I see that you talked about this and you need this and this doesn't apply. And all of that stuff is, you know, living, breathing data in there to make sure that, you know, because a, a bad onboarding experience could create churn, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're not setting up your onboarding, if you're not as a sales rep, you're not setting up your onboarding and your customer success to give that customer, you know, a good experience. Because most ha- what happens most of the time, right? Sales rep sells the deal. And then goes to customer success, and then where's the sales rep at that point? They're gone. You don't hear <laughs> they from them. Um,
2: happy hour, not caring about anything <laughs> but spending that check they just made. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so the least you could do, because we know once you get the commission, you're, you know, you're on to the next deal. You get it? Yep. All right. There's people in place to support those customers moving forward, and that's that's a mechanism that works. But at least. At least give a shit enough to like really set that next step up for success yep. so that they do have a good experience. Because that's that's the easiest way to kill a deal is by them kind of going in blind and being asked about a bunch of things that, you know, your, your system doesn't do, can't solve, or <laughs> is something on a, a, a potential roadmap, right. you know, you know. Yeah. Six months from now, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's on the roadmap. Right. There's nothing
2: worse than that. Something they thought was they thought was already in the product is on is on the way. Don't
1: worry, it's coming soon. Yeah, I or, think or or even saying it's on the roadmap when it's not, you know. Right.
2: Yeah. That's you know? that's worse probably. Uh,
1: I go back to
2: to go back to what you were saying about discovery. I think so many deals are are won and lost in discovery because at the end of the day, we should be using discovery to ask those great questions, understand their situation, understand if there's an immediate pain that we might could solve for. And then also we're qualifying and disqualifying in discovery. So we are moving deals forward or we're moving deals out so that we don't waste time. And when you skip steps and you don't do that discovery and you just let, let the client dictate what you're gonna do, you're skipping those steps and, and realizing, wow, I, should, I could have disqualified that person after one call based on these three things that I just know these these folks are not a good fit. They, these people churn at a ninety percent clip. So I could have figured that out on the first call and saved myself all that time. You mentioned getting into that trap of of stalking somebody and and following up with them, and I'm texting them and I'm calling them. And is it weird if I send them an Instagram message? Like if you're at that stage, the deal's lost, and you should probably just you know call it a loss. And you have to do that and figure that a lot of that's figured out in discovery, which is why. You know, I know a lot of people say deals are won and lost in Discovery, but it truly is your time is won and lost in Discovery. The time that you put towards the right deals, that is what you figure out during Discovery. You're going to win and lose some deals that you take all the way through the process, but you don't need to waste your time on deals that have no shot in hell if you can figure that out after the first call. so.
1: Oh, yeah, and, and, and the thing is, is it's, it's more for you. Then it is for them. Like, yeah, you're, you know, it's great if you can figure out that you can solve some problems for them or whatever product or service that you offer is the solution that they're looking for. That's great. That's benefit for them, but it's for you as well to like, Hey, how much sometimes it's like, okay, yeah. Seems like we can like 80% solve, you know, what they're looking for and the other 20% are maybe nice to haves and not must have. So maybe it's a deal that could work. Um, but is it a deal you want to spend a lot of time on? Is it a deal that you want to focus energy on and kind of go above and do the research and like, you know, it's it's all about your time as a sales rep. And you've got to be great at managing your time. And you need to know kind of, you know, where where your priorities are as far as your deals. You know, you're not always going to be 100 percent of exactly what they're looking for. But if you're 80 or 90, maybe, you know. Maybe they move forward, um, but maybe it's a deal that you don't spend a ton of time on. It's like, if it happens, great, but I'm not counting okay. on it. Um, but if it's a deal, it's like, hey, we're perfect fit for them. They're very responsive. You know, They've given me all of the questions that I've asked in deep detail, have all of the proper leadership buy-in. You know, Those are the deals that you want to focus on.
2: Yeah, exactly. The time, our time is the only thing we can't get back. And it's also not, if you're on, so I'm on a monthly quota, time is not more important at the end of the month than at the beginning of the month. Time is equally important no matter where you are in your quota and, and whatever, however long your quota is monthly, quarterly, annually. It's not like December is the most, that time. I mean, January, the time in January is just as important. I mean, you're laying the groundwork, you're having those conversations, you're hopefully closing deals at that time. And those that those deals count just the same as one does at the end of the year. So I think it's also balancing, like kind of using your time strategically, regardless of what the calendar says, because the calendar is always going to dictate, oh, I need to push it. Oh, I need to crush. But you do you really? I mean, because if you set yourself up for success at the beginning of the month and use your time wisely, then versus just kind of hanging out, not doing much for the first few weeks, and then, oh, now I've got to push, now I've got to push. I think if you manage your time better throughout the stages of your quota, kind of quota length, whatever that looks like, that term length looks like for you, I think those are the people that win, and those are the people that aren't stressed out and giving away the farm at the end of the month and, and really you know, have those bloated pipelines. I think it kind of compounds on itself because they're trying to squeeze too, much, too, much, too many tasks into too little time.
1: Yeah. I, and, and I would just, you know, I, I totally agree. Just to kind of add to that, like, there's no certain time to be better at managing your time and pushing. The time is all of the time. Always manage your time. Always be pushing. You know, I think it's, you know, and I've made this mistake myself early in my sales career. It's like, you just come off a big month and just closed a big deal. And now it's like time to sit back and relax and, you know, kind of you know cool it a little bit and that's the worst thing you can do because you know if you you, know, you let your foot off the pedal for a week or two you're not going to necessarily feel it right away because if you're still celebrating in the end zone from a deal that happened 2 weeks ago okay. um, you know you're going to feel it in 2 weeks or 4 weeks or 6 weeks depending on what your sales cycle looks like then you're then you know putting that you know then your commission breath reeks when you're really like oh gosh I got to really push it now 100%. Yeah, exactly.
2: There's no and you always need to be putting things back into your pipeline. You always need to be working on that 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 prospecting part of the process where you're you're adding thing, new things to the pro to to your the beginning of your sales cycle that may or may not move forward, but you're having those discovery mm-hmm. calls often. I think if you get out of the habit of constantly putting new deals in and having discovery calls and then you get to a point where oh wow i'm doing great i've closed all these deals and you go back and look you, you haven 't replenished it at all and now i'm starting from square one and i 'm two or three months behind that 's such a tough place to be in you've got to keep your keep your book of business balanced at different stages of the sales cycle, top, middle, bottom of the funnel, um, or beginning stages, middle or later stages. You've got to have balance in your book. You cannot be too weighted to one side or else you'll either fail this month or you'll fail three months from now. Either is a horrible place to be in. So,
1: Mm, yeah, no, I, I think that's a, that's a great point. And I think that, you know, is is what you know some e- what's an easy tip or a little hack is, you know, give the deals that die or don't go somewhere, you know, give them a little bit of cool-off time, right? Mm-hmm. Don't just keep hammering them, let them cool off 30, 60, 90, go back to them and not, you know, just to try not with the intention of just trying to get them back in the sales funnel. There is a way to get some of them back in the sales funnel, but just go from a genuine place of asking for feedback. And people are at that point, once they feel like there's no pressure, they already know that they've, you know, rejected you and they don't have to feel weird about it because um, people don't like, you know, people don't like conflict. People don't like telling, you no because they think that you're going to try to push and get them to say yes, especially if you didn't do a great job of that upfront contract of like, hey, if any point in time this doesn't work out, I'm a big boy. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Just let me know. I would actually appreciate it so that I can focus on the people that really do need my help. Um, if you didn't do a good job at that, and even if you did, sometimes prospects just, you know, they get busy. They don't want to tell you no. They feel bad because you put a lot of time in it. to so Whatever the reason is, give them a 30, 60, 90-day cool off and just go back. And it could be either through the phone or email and just, hey, looks like we weren't the best fit. I totally understand. I just wanted to ask you what I could have done better. I'm yep. trying to, you know, I'm trying to become better in my profession, trying to see if I missed the mark somewhere. You know, is there anything that, that you would recommend I you know, do better or different? Um, yep. And you'll be surprised. You get some good, honest feedback. And sometimes there's a good chunk of those that will say, hey, you did everything right. It was just a budget issue. I'm actually ready to pick that conversation back up now. Yep. Um, so some will make it back into the funnel, but pay attention to that feedback. And if you see some common, commonalities between the responses, there might be some tweaks or changes or things that you can do different to, you know, start to win more deals. Yep, exactly.
2: Yeah. I think there's so much to be learned from closed loss deals. Obviously you can kind of do a deal review right after a deal lose right after you lose a deal and kind of figure out what could I have done better right then. I do agree with the give it time to breathe and then go back to them. First of all, because that deal could definitely come back alive. It could have just been a timing thing. It could have been, you know, team that wasn't on board and now they got a new person in their place. You never know what can change and what can change quickly. So going back to actually replenish your pipeline, because that still might be an active opportunity. But also going back to figure out what can I learn? What did I do wrong? What can I do better? How, look at that. Point the finger at yourself and just say, Hey, I'm just here to get better. And I want to know what I could have done better or what our company could have done better or what, what is our product missing? What, what was it that was kind of the key factor of why you decided mm-hmm. not? Forward, And because a lot of times you're going to lose to the status quo, they didn't choose someone else, they just chose to continue with nothing or continue with what they already had. So you have so much opportunity to learn how do you beat status quo, it's the hardest thing in sales is like beating the status quo. And I think a lot of it is some of that self reflection that you mentioned, where we can learn to get better. Uh, learn to do more things at the front end during discovery, learn to qualify better throughout the sales process, learn how to discount, how to not discount, how to push people, how to not push people. I think there's so much opportunity there and so much to gain, not just potential new opportunities from old deals, but also just learning more about you being a better sales hustler, if you will. So...
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, is the cool off time is important because if you don't give it enough breathing room, they're going to think that it's just a sales tactic, right? <laughs> to try to get that, to, to get into the conversation. So the breathing room is extremely important. Um, and, and, and then just, you know, learning and, and coming from a place of really wanting to learn to get better and people will appreciate that. Um, 100%. Yeah. And, uh-huh. and, and then, and then, you know, you got to put that, you got to put that feedback into action. Right, so don't just collect the feedback and then do nothing with it. Be willing to adapt, be willing to change, be willing to, you know, invest in yourself to be better. Um, and take, you know, the problem is I think a lot of people, you know, maybe they're pissed off, they take it personal. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a lot of sales reps take stuff personal, and that's something that you got to er- learn early on. Is like you said er- early on when we started chatting, it was one of my favorite things to say is some will, whim- some will, some some won't. Next call next deal next whatever um you know and uh it's a really important thing to just even sometimes you just got to say it to yourself you mm-hmm. know so you're like don't take it's like a reminder to not take it personal um so don't be scared to reach back out to people because you might be a little pissed off or a little upset because they didn't close you know it's not personal you know it's business don't take it personal don't be scared to ask for feedback um, and come from a place of really wanting to be better rather than just like, Hey, this is a little trick to get them back into my funnel.
2: Right. Yeah. If they see it as a trick, they'll they'll definitely smell that from a mile away. I do think it's important. We talk about what makes a great sales rep. And and the answer you get nine times out of 10 is I want someone that's coachable. And let's be honest, that's hard. It's hard to be coachable. It is hard to take feedback, especially crit- critical feedback. It is hard to do that. I don't care if you're a sales rep or not, what line of work you're in. That is a skill you've got to learn to develop. When I was young, I was horrible at taking feedback. I was horrible. I, I thought everything – everyone was out and get me. I was emotion, mm. emotionally involved in everything. And as you get older, you realize you kind of stake a step back. You mature a little bit. You breathe. You give them room to breathe. Give yourself room to breathe. And then take that feedback, apply it, and then move on. And I think it, the people that can be coachable and take that feedback and then apply it to themselves mm. – those are the better salespeople, the better human beings, like the people that just have a more balanced life uh, instead of this, you know, kind of emotionally charged environment of folks who are just, you know, looking to
1: snap because they just lost a deal. So, Oh, yeah. And 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 the thing is, is, is it's it's common to be teachable and then start to have some success and then no longer be teachable mm. right so you got to be mindful of that mm-hmm. of like not thinking that you've now figured it all out or you've had a couple of good runs and now you don't need to listen to other people always be open minded to be learning somebody that's been there longer than you you know, maybe somebody that you know been there not as long as you just be open minded to you know not Don't make a switch or a change every time somebody says something, mm-hmm. but be open minded enough to like really just consider what people say, because a lot of times it's hard to see things on your own 100%. Um, and, you know, it, somebody else pulling your curtains or, you know, calling you out on something might be what it takes for you to actually take some action and take a look at something.
2: Mm -hmm. And sometimes that person's going to be your sales manager. And I think you've got to look at them not as an adversary, but as someone on your side and someone who wants you to get better, who has your best interests at heart. So learn to take feedback from your direct manager, because that person probably cares more about your success than anybody if they don't go find a new one that but that needs to be like a very productive uh, relationship where you can take that feedback and then they can help you. And it's a win win situation for all. Uh, I think sometimes we look at our managers as adversaries, and they're not. They're on our team. They're on our side. The feedback is meant to make us better. View them that way, treat them that way, and then you'll win too.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, so also there's a lot of there's a lot of different sales communities and groups that have been popping mm-hmm. up more and more. You know, tap into those. You know, those are going to be you're going to get feedback from people that aren't you know invested in any way. It's just you know you get good, honest, candid feedback, um, based on whatever it is, you know, but you got to reach out and be willing to ask for some help on certain things. Yeah. Hard, hardest thing to do in sales, probably. <laughs> oh yeah. All right, Tyler. Hey, it's been, uh, fantastic having you on here. Uh, appreciate it, uh, coming on here and, and, and sharing with all the sales hustlers out there, let folks know where they can connect with you, where they can learn more about you and, and what you have for them.
2: Yeah, definitely. So there's a few different ways you can connect with me online. Uh, first will be my website, tylerlinley.com. That's T-Y-L-E-R-L-I-N-D-L-E-Y.com. Also, my podcast is The Sales Lift. It's TheSalesLift.com. And then I'm very active on LinkedIn and trying to be more active on Twitter these days as well. So you can find me at Tyler Lindley on either of those platforms, and I'm sure Colin will link those out. But I've really had a blast
1: and uh, hope, to, hope to come back on and, and chat with your sales hustlers again soon. Awesome. Thanks Tyler. We'll include those links in the show notes. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, share with your friends, and we are listening for your feedback.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Sales Hustle. Are you a sales professional looking to take your sales career to the next level? If the answer is yes, then I want you to go over to salescast.co. Check us out. And if you feel that you are ready Set up a time to talk with me and my co-founder, Chris. I'm your host, Colin Mitchell. And if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave us a review and share the podcast with your friends.